Good afternoon and welcome to Gospel Inc. I'm David Green, your host on this journey of faith and transformation. Today we delve into the awe-inspiring testimonies of modern-day believers, profoundly touched by the influence of Jesus Christ. We bring you stories of miraculous redemption and divine reconciliation, narratives that speak to the heart and soul. Our guests have navigated through the darkness of witchcraft, addiction, and life-altering tribulations, finding themselves at times far from God's embrace. Yet in their deepest despair, they encountered God's transformative power, bringing hope and new purpose into their lives. Now, as fervent disciples of Christ, their lives stand as a powerful testimonies to His boundless grace. Join us this season of celebration and reflection as we share these extraordinary tales of spiritual rebirth and unshakable faith only on Gospel Inc. Welcome to Gospel Inc., a sanctuary for stories of faith and transformation. I'm thrilled to introduce Ruth, a remarkable voice of hope and redemption. Ruth's narrative is one of a miraculous turnaround, a passage from the depths of addiction to the pinnacle of spiritual liberation. Her life, once ensnared by the chains of alcohol and sexual addiction, is now a vivid testament to the restorative power of prayer and scripture. Through generational prayer and divine intervention, she found her way out of darkness, an eight-year odyssey towards joy, hope, and renewed purpose. She's a single mother who's navigated the trials of parenting, authorship, and personal growth, channeling her experiences into books that empower others to connect deeply with God. The ultimate conversation is that you, God, and 100 Days of Prayer, available on Amazon, are her offerings to guide others in finding their voice in prayer and the courage to face their own battles. Ruth's testimony shines a light on the path of those still in the shadows of addiction, showing that with faith, there's always a way forward. Now she shares her insights weekly on her podcast, Out of the Darkness. Join me in welcoming Ruth to Gossip Link as we step into our extraordinary journey of faith and healing. Welcome to the show, Ruth. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So to kick off our discussion about the journey to faith, could you take us back to the beginning and share what your life was like before your spiritual awakening and describe that pivotal moment when you first encountered faith? Well, I was a fortunate child. I grew up in a very loving and very unified unit. And I grew up in the church, actually. I come from a couple of generations of evangelical believers. The joke in the family is that I was born in the church. Literally, I was a week old when my parents took me to church. And that really started a journey for me of being in the church uh, three, four times a week. Never missed a Sunday. We knew when we were young never to accept an invitation or, uh, uh, you know, not go to church. It was just part of us. It was ingrained. I never thought about telling my parents I couldn't go to church or I didn't feel like going to an activity. It was who I was. I was really following in my parents and my grandparents' footsteps. When I was in my mid to late teens, my dad actually became a pastor. So the pressure to behave in a certain way, act in a certain way, be visible in a certain way became even more magnified because we were already I have one sister, I can only speak for myself, but I always felt that I was under a magnifying glass, that people were looking at us and uh, judging us on who our parents were and how and what we did in the church. And when I was around 11 or 12, I made a commitment to the Lord. I was at a sleepaway camp and we watched uh, Left Behind. If you know that movie, 
it scared the living life out of me, literally. So, you know, I made a commitment. I got baptized at 16 and I was already teaching Sunday school, you know, whether it was in my home church or uh, in a Greek church or Armenian church. Those are that's my background, my heritage. So I was involved in everything. And then I started to work in the corporate world around 17, 18 years old. And that's when things started to take a little bit of a change for me. I started to see things that I had not been exposed to. I grew up in a very loving, yet very strict and conservative home. Now, I need to mention that around 11 or 12, I was exposed to pornography. And that changed the trajectory of my life, unbeknownst to me, because it was there. And once you've seen it, and once you've experienced it, there is no way to unsee it. Um, And that kind of had an underlying role uh, during my relationships. Well, you know, I, I did the great corporate job, but needed to get away from my parents and from the church and from everything. So what did I do? I went to Bible school for a year. I mean, seriously, it was it was really just to get away and to experience what I thought was out there. And I met my husband to be at that point. And, you know, fast forward, we we got married. Now, it, uh, it the, the wedding or the marriage was blessed. But people did not agree to the relationship. Everyone, different people had different reasons. Uh, I really, um, I struggled with it. You know, I, I think I loved him I with the love that I understood back then. Today, I have a whole other understanding of what love is between a man and a woman. But at that time, he was also away. And I hate to say this because, you know, we, we have a good relationship now and Um, But I just thought he was a way out for me out of the life that I was in. So I got married, had three beautiful children. And when my youngest was about five months old, certain uh, events in our life caused uh, a separation, which three years later ended up in a divorce. But during those years, there were a lot of difficulties within the church. Um, The church decided that it was my fault. Uh, I said, short of putting on um, the, you know, the, what is that? The, the initial on my chest of harlot. um, That's how I was treated in the church. And it was very difficult. I had elders and men of the church call me and accuse me of things that they were not privy to and did not understand what it was. And that really started to set me up for a decline. And I put on a lot of weight. And I started to become very introverted and and, and stepped away from people. I still had the mask on of a mother. I still had the mask on of going to church of a Christian, but internally I had become very isolated and I was very, very alone. Uh, No one around me really knew uh, what it was like to have three kids and be alone and try and struggle with that. Anyway, I put on the weight and then suddenly something triggered one day and I I lost a lot of weight over a hundred pounds. And that was another 
step into my decline because it gave me this false confidence of looks because I started to get comp compliments. Oh, you look great. You look this. Oh, you've got willpower. And those were things that I had always tried to maintain that I was in control of my life. So, you know, I also, you know, felt alone during those years. And one day walking down the street while the kids were with their dad, I saw a group of people sitting outside a bar on a pet, on a patio, and they were laughing and they were having a grand old time. And I thought, why can't I have that? I just want laughter. I want attention. I want people to look at me and sit in and just enjoy my company. Well, a couple of weeks later, I got dressed up and went to this club, unbeknownst to me, at seven o'clock. It's dead because this is Montreal, and Montreal's nightlife doesn't start until 11 o'clock or so. And I went into the club. I ordered my first drink, my first club, my first drink that I ordered alone. It was a rum and coke, only drink I knew, and had that drink. And that was the first of many nights. And when I say many nights, it was about 15 years of going to clubs and to bars alone with friends I started to make to be picked up and to pick up. That became my life, my, my all. That's who I became. Even though by that time, I had become very successful in the corporate world. I was making six figures, five-figure bonuses. I was successful in everybody's eyes. I was, you know, successful at being a mother to three single, uh, to three children. I was in the church, in body, not in mind, not in soul. And, but no one knew that in the darkness, because it was a secret, no one knew about this. I had become an addict to alcohol to numb the senses, to quiet the Holy Spirit, and to give me Dutch courage to pick up men and to get into situations that most people would find horrendous, would find disgusting. And I was a, an addict to sex and porn, and that became my life and my lifestyle for 15 years. And like any addict, uh, Porn is actually, um, compared to those that are addicted to crack, it does something to your brain. It rewires your brain where you have no fear. You do are not afraid of the consequences of your actions. And really looking back, that's who I had become. I had no fear. I was putting myself in such disastrous situations and I wonder, you know, I know now that it was by the grace of God and generational prayer I stand here today. But at the time, I always wondered why, why had I not become a statistic? Woman found in back alley, woman found in hotel. And one night, and, and as I said, this went on for 15 years of, a you know, a double life. And Towards the end of those 15 years, it became really bad. I was blacking out. I had, you know, my drinks were spiked several times. And there's a difference. And you can tell it as someone who goes through it when you are, you're blacking out because of alcohol or because your drink has been spiked. And I found myself one night in the bar 
talking to a couple and and not remembering anything again until I woke up in the pitch black and hearing voices and sounds around me and not knowing where I was, how I had gotten there and what had taken place. And then I blacked out again and then came back. And during that second, you know, sort of understanding of where I was, I I was able to get dressed. I don't remember any of that. I just know I got dressed and I was blacked out again. And the next thing I remember is the cold winter air hitting me as I left a hotel. Didn't know where I was in town. Didn't know how I got there. Didn't know how to get home. And then I came back out of that blackness in a cab, wondering how I told the taxi driver where I was going and how I had behaved. I still had that wherewithal. But, you know, when when you're in that darkness, when you you you're you can't control it anymore. And then I blacked out again and came to again when I was trying to get into the house and I got in and I went to my bedroom and it was the sun was starting to rise by that time. And I closed the door and I, I tried to, to go to bed and to sleep, but there was a presence that was so strong around me. It was this coldness. It was a, a da- I can't even explain it except I felt it. It was a presence there. And I started to pray. Now, when I say pray, take it with a grain of salt, because this was a prayer of someone who was desperate to survive and live. It wasn't a prayer of, Lord, please take my life and save me. No, it was, Lord, just help me get through this night and I'll, I won't do it again. And But that's a prayer that we all do at that point in our life. And I couldn't even do that prayer because the presence that was in that room mocked me and would say, how can you pray to a God when you have just done this and you've been through this? He's not going to listen to you. And it was one of the longest nights because it was a battle. It, I really, I really wanted to leave it alone, this lifestyle alone and to to go back to being happy because everyone saw a happy woman. Everyone saw a successful woman. Uh, I was great at masking it, but I was the loneliest I had ever been in my life. And I was scared. I was a child afraid of the dark and the demons in the dark, except these were literal demons in the dark. And I believe that the demons are there for those of us who do not know our path and do not walk the path with our Lord Jesus Christ. And But that was the first night of many nights for five years of trying to overcome this addiction. Who do you go to? I had no one to go to at that point. So I started with that one little prayer, and every day... My prayers got stronger. It wasn't overnight. It took a good five years to leave. Alcohol was the easiest to leave. Sex and porn was the most difficult. It is an addiction that is so hard to break. You are inundated by sexuality all around, and it had become my identity. I based my success on the notches on the belt. Um, I, I was told by friends that I was behaving like the man. 
not a woman in these relationships. And I think it really was a way for me to say, look, I don't need a man. I'm successful at this alone. But five years, and I thank God that I had the basis of a good foundation when I was growing up, because I cannot imagine how I would have survived if I did not have the basis from my childhood of what prayer was and what peace the Lord would give to me. And I turned to Jesus time and time again during those five years. I stumbled and fell many times, many times. But now I am nine years sober. It was a long journey, a hard journey. But my journey really to the back to the Lord was based on prayer. And as my prayers got stronger and I started to hear the Holy Spirit again, the one I had silenced all those years ago, I got a confidence to dig into the Bible because I just didn't want to read the Bible. It was too convicting. I started to study. So the time I had been spending in clubs and bars and porn and whatever else, I started to put all of that time and effort now into prayer. And I lived with guilt for a long time because no one knew my journey. Nobody knew what I had overcome. I again pretended like I had not been through this this experience. But what happened was I started to focus on other people and pray for other people. And as I did that, I no longer was fixated on my shame and on my past, and I understood that the Lord had forgiven me. Jesus had died for my sins, and I was a new person and not that person of the past. I am, I was a whole person, a new person. And that was my journey. And now I'm almost nine years sober. And for those that question, you know, what does sobriety look like for someone like me? Um, alcohol was a no-go for me for a long time, even though that was, that was a tool that I used. My addiction was for sex and porn. I only drink alcohol now, um, you know, when my, one of my kids are getting married, special occasions. I've never been addicted to it that way. It was really a tool. But my sex and pornography means that I have been chased or chased <laughs> or n- not in sexual relationships for eight, almost nine years and without porn and masturbation for almost nine years. And that is what being sober means for someone uh, like like me. Yeah, that's a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that with us. When you talked about your journey through church, right? You're kind of falling away from church during that time. What was the cataclysm? Was was people giving you a hard time because you were going through your divorce or what were those issues that you were facing? I think part of it was that they had seen a couple that was in harmony, that was you know, looking good on the surface. There were no issues. A great guy, great woman. How can you just, you know, get separated and then eventually get divorced? Uh, Why are you not working on this? Why are you not following your husband and this and that? There was a lot more to that. We we were both at fault. I, I take 50% of the blame, you know, or 100% is my fault, 100% is his fault, depending on how you look at the equation. Um, there were many things I had, you know, I... 
I'm married for life. I never thought that I would divorce. It was a it, divorce was not an option, not on the table. I did not believe in divorce, so to speak. Um, but I, I've, I, I have fallen out of love again. This goes back to my saying that I don't know. I didn't know what love was at the time. Love to me was doing things for someone and someone doing something back for you. It wasn't the relationship where love grows through the years and you fall in love through the years. It's not what the movies and society tells us and culture tells us today, where you meet someone and you fall in love. Well, if you fell in love, you'll fall out of love. It's, it's so easy. That love that comes with the years is one that will will sustain you through those difficult years. And we didn't have, I don't believe I had that love. I cannot speak for him. Um, and I think it, it really rattled the foundation of the church because here I was a pastor's kid. I was in different leadership roles and so was he. And we went through this and it was on, on the, you know, quiet, right? I never talked about it. The shame was too great for me. I've lived with shame my whole life from the time I was a child. If I did something wrong, I shamed my family. If I if I did something wrong, I shamed the church and, and so on, you know, and I didn't understand what it meant not to live in shame. So the church came after me in a sense and the church actually split. So a contingency actually left the church. That's horrific. It's horrific and it, it, not just for me, but for a church unit that it could not sustain its unity through a dark time. So that was sort of what happened within the church. Everybody had their own opinion. Everybody took sides. No one asked them to take sides. They took sides. And there was divisiveness. You know, there, there was this, this division uh, amongst the, the congregation. You're going through your journey of redemption, right? And as you got out the mm -hmm. other side, nine, year, nine years sober, did you get, ever get an opportunity to go back and talk to these congregants, talk to the leadership and tell them your story of how maybe they could help other Christians in your struggle? Unfortunately, uh, I was not able to do that within my own church, my home church where I was at at the time, because many people had moved away. Second, my father was the pastor and he had gotten um, the brunt of it as well because he had been blamed that he could not um, keep our marriage together, um, that he was responsible for us separating. And, you know, uh, I've taken it a different route I'm 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 past that. It's it's many many years later. It's like 26 years later. I I don't live in that past, but what I do now is through my testimony is encourage churches, encourage members of the church family, children of of the Lord and Jesus Christ that there is a time to be gracious, a time to um, sit and be still when someone is going through difficulty and listen to what their story is. We are already standing in judgment in front of God. We don't need another judge and jury. 
here in the church. Help us to help ourselves. It doesn't mean you have to agree with us. Uh, I never, uh, you know, expected anyone to say, oh, woohoo, Ruth, good for you, you know, or good for you to my, you know, to my husband at the time. And that wasn't it. It was just there wasn't that support to help us to say, perhaps let us pray for this couple. Perhaps we should do this. There were many things that, you know, the church is not ready. You know, 26 years ago, the church was not ready for a divorce to happen to leadership. We see it now a, a lot more frequently, unfortunately. Um, and my take on it is this. Divorce is a very difficult subject in a church. Um, it's very simple for me, maybe because I've been through it and I've been through this journey of redemption, that divorce is a sin. Whether I lie whether I cheat on my husband or wife, whether I cheat on my employer by not putting in the set amount of hours to work, whether I cheat on my taxes, it doesn't matter. A sin is a sin. And that's what divorce is. Let's not make this bigger than any other sin. We need to, you know, help everyone, no matter what their 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 sin is. I think this is where we've got our wires crossed within the church family. Why do we pick on certain uh, sins? Because it's easier, because it doesn't include us in it. And I think of that even today in our culture, you know, um, with with gays and, you know, and, and the trans situation and abortion. There are so many stands that as Christians we take without understanding that it's all wrong. It's all sin in front of the Lord. One sin is not going to be greater than the other. At the end of the day, are we coming back to the Lord and saying, Lord, I forgive my sins. I've sinned. It doesn't matter what the sin was. And does the Lord say, oh, Ruth, you were divorced. That's it. You cannot be forgiven. Well, the church to this day, many churches believe that I'm still a sinner, cannot remarry. I don't understand that. If we are, if I've gone through this journey of redemption, if I've been at the feet of the, at the foot of the cross and Jesus died and his blood washed away my sins at the foot of the cross, why am I, I being identified as someone who is divorced and living in sin? This is a question that I put out there for churches and leadership. I think it's important. And we have a lot of stories in the Bible that support that, right? The the Ruth in the Bible. I know I, I can't think of the exact verse off the top of my head right now, but you know, he's she was seeking marriage. She wants to get yep. married. And God says, Why? You've already been married eight times. And that's because she had sexual relationships with different yeah. people. Right. So I think that you God ultimately covers our sins, right? Like that's why he yeah. died on the cross. And it's about that redemption pathway and turning away from that sin. So I, I think it's a beautiful story and I think it's a good point, right? That we, we all are equal in the sight of God and we all have to come to the cross in order to find that redemption ourselves. As you talk through the story, right? You at one point you said it you were 
possibly roofied in a, a nightclub and you ended up back at, I think you said your hotel room or maybe your house yeah. and you're having the conversation. Was it with God, you think, or do you think it was with like a demonic entity from during that? I believe that, you know, that, that, that one particular night, it was not God that was in that room. It was, it was not a peaceful presence. And I don't associate that, that fear with with God, even if you go to Him in in your sins, it's not in fear that you enter His presence. I do believe because I had allowed Satan and his evil spirits to enter my life. That's who I was. I was a puppet. I was controlled, and I a hundred percent believe that that was a battle that was taking place because there was a part of me that was trying to get out of that. Why would Satan, Satan was quiet while I was in that life. But the moment I started to turn around and go back towards the Lord and go back to Jesus Christ, the fear, I don't know if it's fear, but that restlessness will start within the spirits, the evil spirits We're losing one. You know, she's heading, you know, like it just imagery. I don't know what they do, you know, and how they work. I'm just putting out there an imagery how I saw it happen. But I do believe that that was evil that was there. What kind of evil? I don't even, I don't try to, to figure it out. I just know that there is evil and I warn people about evil spirits because many Christians do not believe in evil spirits. And I do. Um, if we believe in the Holy Spirit and we believe in the presence of God in our lives, I think we also need to consider that if we open ourselves and channel in, there is Satan and his whole army um, ready to to come into your life. Totally agree. Um, ask you this, baby, right? Through your message of hope, what words of wisdom or encouragement can you offer others who may be walking a path similar to yours? There is hope. You are not alone. There is hope. Even in the darkness, even in the pit of this evilness, this evil that you are encountering and living, there is hope. One hope, and that is at the foot of the cross to be washed in his blood, to go back to the Lord and go back to Jesus and and just accept the free gift of God, salvation and redemption. There is hope. I, I want to give hope to people. And that hope is not through your, your own actions. It takes a step from you, but it really is just to walk into those open arms and accept it and live it. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And as we talk about folks of how they want to connect with you and your story, right? Maybe looking at your current endeavors, could you highlight any ongoing projects or missions that respect your spiritual journey and, and how, how to help others? Well, my journey right now and the season I'm in right now is where the Lord, I believe, has put me right now. And that is to share my story, my journey to give hope to others. And I do that through um, a ministry I started, started Modern Day Ruth. 
And I have a podcast, Out of the Darkness with Ruth, which touches upon different subjects. Uh, the, the first season really was sharing stories of others as well through this redemption. Um, I have, I've been writing books. Um, I speak about this. I'd, I really want to reach out to that one person that sees no way out out of this addiction or out of any addiction, you know, you may, you know, your listener may not be addicted to porn or drug or, or alcohol or sex, but they may be addicted to success. They may be addicted to working out or being, uh, you know, financially secure. They may be even addicted to their children and, and, and hovering, you know, whatever it is, if it's an if it's something that consumes you, it's an addiction. And we start our journey at a different place. And this is what I want people to understand that there is a way to fill that emptiness besides all this noise that we fill it with. You know, go back to the basics, create an intentional prayer time, and read the word of God for yourself so that when culture tells you or you hear something, you will be able to identify truth and wrong and and be able to say, this is what the word of God says. That's my mission right now is really to do that. You know, the books are great, great way to reach out to people, but really my, it's that message there. You know, it's it, the season is prayer for me right now and the word of God. That's a beautiful thing. And prayer, that's where it starts, right? Prayer is the most important thing we can do to connect with our Lord and Savior. Ruth, um, first, I just want to say thank you for speaking. And um, I really appreciate your boldness in sharing your story with us, with everyone else. I think it's something that's important for people to hear. Something that really strikes me is that you came from a background of believing and still went through this experience in life. And so many of us believers um, I myself was also saved at a very young age, but we still go through things in life, especially once we reach adulthood, that are so difficult and pull us away from that faith. And so it's very encouraging to hear your story about how the Lord brought you out of that. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that I found um, very interesting is how you found prayer to be like the ladder that God threw down to you to climb out of that hole that you were in and that feeling that you had of not even being able to pray at first, even though you knew like that's what needed to happen. That's what you needed to do. I think many of us have been there who have gone through hard times. We know what we need to do, but the ability is just not there. Do you have encouragement or words of wisdom of when someone finds himself in that position, what do you do? Um, are the things that can help. I think there. that those of us that have grown up in in the church or have made commitments at a young age, sometimes some of us are living the faith of our parents or our grandparents. It is not our own faith. And that is what, as parents, we need to encourage our children to do, is develop their own faith, their own relationship with the Lord. I think that's where 
Sometimes we're, we're, we're so happy to see our children make a commitment to the Lord and to start their own journey. And yet we do not have this word of encouragement of, you know, prayer, reading the word of God, making it so that they understand the importance of it. Adults don't even understand it. I really, really encourage you to to put aside time for intentional prayer. Not the prayer we should be praying throughout the day. That is that is that is something that we should be doing. It should be something that is done by instinct. You know, just praying to to God throughout the day. When I talk about this intentional prayer, it's carving out time in your schedule. And in the beginning, it may feel forced where you put it on your calendar and slot it for three o'clock every afternoon when the kids are doing something or whatever. But it's intentional prayer. You sit down and you pray going through this. And maybe it's an exercise at the beginning. It is exercise. It's like going to the gym. The first few times it's difficult. You don't know which exercise to do next. You can't do the same amount of reps every time. And, and, but as you go, there's muscle memory and your muscle, your brain memory remembers what's the next thing and your muscle memory kicks in and you know what to do and you get stronger at it. So that's what intentional prayer becomes. Start out, make a list, you know, pray for those closest to you, pray for those that have asked for prayer, pray for those in the church, pray for those on the mission field and make those lists. There's nothing wrong in stopping and looking at the list. There's nothing wrong in making notes and praying. That's how I pray. That's how I've developed it is that is what my first book became was because I want people, a tool for people to say, how do I pray? What is intentional prayer? It's really just sitting down and 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 focusing and give first of all, giving thanks to the Lord for every single thing, even the ache that you have that's been a thorn in your flesh. That means you're alive. That means that you feel it. There's so many things to give thanks for, you know, and then just pray. And then, and then make intentional time. Yes, we should read the Bible every day, but we should also do intentional studying of the scripture. We're all in different seasons. A busy mom may not have the same amount of time, but honestly, we can all make time. You know, you can find a way to carve out five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever it is, to do intentional, in-depth reading of the word of God. It's great. Look, I have, you know, I have a, a book that is a devotional. That's great. You know, go get all the devotional books. But th that's not reading the word of God. That's just taking a moment to, you know, to devote yourself to the Lord. When I talk about reading the word of God, it is sitting down and reading the word of God in depth, taking a verse, meditating on it, looking at it. I think that's what we're missing out right now. That's that's really helpful um, and very encouraging. Uh, it's a process. Yeah, it is. It's going to be. Listen, we're not going to be prayer warriors off the bat. No, no, no. And you know what? There is no shame. You know, the, the words of a child are heard and the words of the 90-year-old are heard the same way. 
I'm not an eloquent prayer by any means. I have a friend of mine when she prays, it's poetry. It's not a, it's not something she does intentionally. It's how she speaks. And when she prays, there is music in the air. When I pray, it's like a child praying. It is my style. It is who I am. And there's nothing wrong with it. Pray the way that you pray. Just pray. Thank you, Ruth. It's an incredible journey that you've been on, right? And it's extremely inspiring to hear you speak on our show today. I encourage my listeners to reach out to Ruth, right? Listen to her podcast, pick up her books. Her her story, her story will encourage you as you go through your different seasons of faith and as you draw closer to God. But we really appreciate you having on, on the show today, Ruth, and it's been a blessing to, to speak with you. Thank you. In today's Stare Narrative, we witness the profound impact of faith and the grace found in redemption. It calls upon us to abandon our wayward paths and realign with our Lord and Savior. Let this moment of reflection be guided by the words of the Scripture. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. We are promised a grace that not only forgives, but renews. A grace that envelopes us with the warmth of His divine affection. As we conclude, I invite you to join me in a moment of prayer. Close your eyes, bow your heads with me, and let's reach out to our Lord and Savior. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner, and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you all the days of my life. You are my Lord and Savior. Amen. Remember, saying this prayer or any other prayer will not save you by itself. It is the genuine faith and conviction in your heart that God cares about you. The words are simply a way for you to express your faith and commitment to God. The true salvation experience comes from the truly believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, feeling remorse for your sins, and living a life that shows a commitment to following the teachings of Jesus. Thank you for joining me today. If this message resonated with you, I'd be honored if you consider subscribing. In the coming weeks, we'll connect with a host of fascinating individuals, and I eagerly anticipate the rich discussions ahead. Until we meet again, remain inspired steadfast in faith, and let the gospel leave its indelible mark on your soul.